0: God, we come before you today frail, uh, broken, there's, um, there's things in this world that we can't control, there's things in our lives that we can't control. There's, at times, uh, there seems to be no hope or no cause yet uh, when we turn our eyes from the circumstances of our lives and we put them on you, we realize that it can be well in our souls, God. Thank you for your strength and your grace, for your mercy and your love. Thanks for your deliverance. Thanks for your promises. There's a day coming uh, where you're going to come through those clouds and you're going to take us home to yourself. And uh, that's, that's our faith. That's our hope. It's our belief. It's what allows us to trust you and follow you. And so today I want to pray for anybody here who it's not well in their soul. I want to pray, God, that you would um, affirm those who are wrapped in fear. I want to pray, God, that you would bring, bring peace to those who lack it. Uh, that you'd lead us in our lives this certainty, this confidence that you can be trusted, that you'd make it well in our souls. Um, Lord, we want to give to you today, so this offering we give for the glory of your name. We want to hear from you today, so this sermon that I preach, I pray you'd push me aside and you'd speak in my place, uh, that you'd lead us all, God, uh, deeper into who you are, uh, that you'd rid us of ourselves so that we can uh, embrace you more fully. Grant us, God, the changes that you want us to make uh, and lead us from here new and walking in life with you. I pray all these things because Jesus makes us possible. It's in his name that I ask these things. And Everybody said Amen. amen. God bless you. Have a seat. If you have your Bibles, open them with me to Matthew chapter 5 as we finish up this series that we started about eight weeks ago called Fixer Upper. It's been a series on the family and relationships that we have there, but not just in the family and relationships that we have everywhere. Uh, We know that uh, uh, God created us to be in relationship with each other, for families to function the way uh, he desired them to function at peace, Uh, that sin has made that pretty much impossible, but uh, Jesus comes to rectify and to redeem and to grant us peace, not just in our lives with him and with uh, Father God, but with uh, those that we find in our family. So uh, we're going to finish this series up tonight or today it'll be today. You're not going to stay through tonight. And then I will start a new series called On the Road next week. We're going to continue our study of the book of Acts as we have done in the last two summers. And so we're going to pick up in the middle of the book of Acts and and proceed through that here in the summer months. So uh, we're finishing up this series. It's been a series that's been built around uh, a central part of scripture in Matthew chapter 5 called the Beatitudes. Beatitudes is just uh, a Latin word that means blessing and and this section of scripture gets that name, Beatitude, because it's just a series of blessings conferred uh, by Jesus on certain people, certain types of people that bear a certain type of character. And we've understood from these Beatitudes, these blessings, that these are the things that we need to bring to our relationships in our homes, um, all the fixer-upper homes that we have relationally, and into our lives generally. This is who, sh- who we should be. It's like Jesus describes his character and his nature in these blessings, so we've learned them together. Uh, we know that it starts like this in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, and we've, if you haven't been here yet, we've been learning these aerobically. So we're going to do it one last time. Everybody up one more time. We've been learning these with some motions so that we can uh, be able to share them with each other as we see each other out there in the world. Come on, I know it's, it's Sunday morning in June. Everybody's feeling a little bit more summer. <laughs> But it's the last time. Bring it. All right? Everybody with me? Bring this thing. Here we go. We've learned that the word word blessed is going to be this sign right here. It's a thumbs up, right? It means approved of by God. So blessed are the poor. Remember we said in spirit, right? For theirs is the... Of where? Smile. Blessed are those who... For they shall be... All right. Nice work over there. Appreciate that. Blessed are the... Make the muscle meek it's being strong and saying after you for they shall inherit I'm going to miss this one the earth right <laughs> blessed are those who hunger and thirst for make the halo righteousness for they shall be satisfied that's right blessed are the this is remember this one merciful from your heart out to them you're going to uh, you know be able to take care of their misery blessed are the merciful alleviating misery for they shall receive Mercy. All right. Last week we talked about blessed are the. Remember we said pure is a singleness of focus. It's it's those who are trained in uh, God alone. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And then one more. Ready? You're only going to do this one once. Sorry, we're out of beatitudes. But uh, <laughs> blessed. Give me two deuces. Are the peacemakers. One more time, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons, pat your head like your dad's patting your head, sons or daughters of God. One more time, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. All right, have a, man, wasn't that fun? We're going to stop doing that now, but yeah, three people clapped, all right. (laughs) Blessed are the peacemakers, who's heard that one before? Back in the Old West, they called your six-gun a peacemaker. I don't think that's what Jesus intended. Uh, we throw this idea of peace uh, all over the place. I used to sign my letters with the word peace. Uh, when I would leave conversations, I would say, peace out. Anybody would say, peace out? Peace out. All right? Uh, Today, you know, maybe not today, maybe a few years ago i 'm always falling behind in the times, but but if you throw up deuces right deuces that 's a new you know sign off deuces that just means peace, and we throw this word peace around like it 's just you know goodbye, but peace is way bigger than just goodbye it 's way bigger than signing your name at the end of an email or a letter it's uh, it 's something that we 're meant we were created to exist in, and sin has robbed it from all of us peace is is, is the uh, Is the speck that God created us with, but it's something uh, that eludes us almost every day. I want to talk about uh, the fact that, that God desires for us to live in peace. He wants us to have peace personally. He wants us to be peacemakers. He wants us to go intentionally into the world and create peace wherever we go. He wants us to go to the relationships in our families, our marriages, our children, our parents, and create peace in all of those relationships. To have it ourselves and to give it to others. It's kind of like uh, I'm going to get on a plane. I didn't mention this when we were talking missions, but I appreciate your prayers. Myself and our uh, missions coordinator Ricky Fisher are going to go on a, a prospectus trip. Uh, Ministries flying us over to India uh, to check out India. On Wednesday, and we're going to visit some churches. It's a church planning ministry. The, the need for the gospel in the 1040 window, which India is a part of, is, is immense, and uh, uh, India is actually becoming a closed country. Uh, the Hindu government is shutting down uh, the Christian uh, side of the culture uh, everywhere it can. And so uh, we're hoping that God will kind of give us uh, his vision for our involvement in the ministry of the gospel there. So, uh, and we'll Wednesday pray. Uh, But when I get on the plane, here's why I'm saying all that. Uh, When I get on the plane, there's going to be a steward, a a flight attendant, whatever the appropriate PC word is, um, standing at the front, they're going to go through the spiel, right? Uh, Here's the exits, you know. uh, uh, If the plane goes down in water, uh, bend over, grab your life jacket, and kiss your butt goodbye. Anyway, uh, um, but (laughs) I shouldn't have said that. That's... (sighs) filter. That's bad. <laughs> but then, then, then they'll say this, in, in case there's a, a, a loss of uh, pressure in the a cabin, you, you'll get these masks. They'll come out. And what do they always say? They say, put your mask on first and then help, help the people around you, your kids or whoever. Make, but make sure you put yours first. And so here's what happens a lot of times when pastors preach about peace. or like, people who listen are like, I want my peace. You know, Give me my mask. Help me breathe in this uh, world uh, that is without error or without peace. But, but we don't make the connection that we're supposed to help other people with, with their peace as well. And that's what this verse is about. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called sons of God. Peace is this, this idea that just permeates the gospel. Uh, in parts of Scripture, it's called the gospel of peace. Uh, it's the central theme uh, that surrounds even the birth of Christ. Remember what Isaiah said? As uh, he was prof- prophesying the coming of Jesus Christ in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, he says, uh, um, "For us, t- uh, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and say it with me, the Prince of Peace. It's Jesus' name. He's the Prince of Peace. The angels get together on the night that Jesus is born. And they visit some shepherds and it tells us the story there in Luke chapter 2. It says, suddenly there was an angel, or there was with the angel a multitude of, heaven, of the heavenly host, a bunch of angels, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth. Say it with me. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Jesus himself uh, let us know that he came to bring peace. He came to bring peace and he says as much. Or Paul says as much in Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, where it says this, For in him all the fullness of God, in Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making, say it with me, peace. By the blood of his cross. See, I don't know what you think of when you see someone wearing a cross around their neck, or if you see it at the top of a steeple on a church, or it's a, it's a very well known Christian emblem, um, and fittingly so. But I don't know what you conjure in your minds when you see the cross. I would suggest this think peace. Because as horrible and as desperate as that um, sacrifice was that Jesus made for us, he did it all so that you and I could have peace with God. See, if, if you don't know the gospel, the gospel of peace is this. You're lost. I'm lost. We're dead in our transgressions and sins, helpless in, in in that state. And and God, in his love, showed his mercy to us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And when Christ died for us, he created an option, a a, 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 a possibility for us to have peace with God through faith in him. And that's, that's our condition. We, he doesn't just... Throw the big blanket on everybody. I died on the cross so everybody has peace with God. He says, no, you got to choose me. you got to follow me. you got to surrender your life to me. But if you will do that, I'll give you peace with your God. It's the gospel of peace. I'm uh, grateful to have all these teams going out there this summer and over the fall to, to share the gospel of peace. It's why we do missions. It's because not enough people know about Jesus and the peace that he can bring. It's why we give money. Uh, to places like the Village of Hope, Uganda, so that we can train up the indigenous people in these countries so that they, as they are going throughout their lives, can share this gospel of peace with those who need it. But I want to shift our focus from this initial peace offering that Jesus uh, gives us to the the fact that his peace is available to all of us at all times. It's not just this one-time get-it-at-salvation thing. It's this... for all of life, everyday thing that he desires us to have. He says in John chapter 14, verse 27, talking to his friends right before he's about to uh, come into Jerusalem and be crucified and and die and and give us peace through salvation, he says this to him. He's talking to people who are already in. Peace I leave with you, my friends. Peace I leave with you, those who already uh, believe in me and call me the Christ. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. It's not the peace that the world would would offer you. I give you a different kind of peace. Let not your hearts then be troubled, and neither let them be afraid. He's talking about, listen, this peace isn't this one-time, you know, uh, take-it-or-leave-it offering for your salvation. It's this thing that I hope you live in. It's different from what the world describes peace as, but it's this peace that I I pray you persist in so that you don't have fears, so that you um, don't feel the troubles that this world so often brings. See, the world uh, sells a piece uh, or a brand of peace that many of us go for, but it's not really peace at all. When you think of the world and the peace that the world offers, think of two words. The first one is escape, and the second one is denial. We'll, we'll talk about escape first. Here's, here's how peace works in most people's minds. Peace is this place that I need to get to, okay? I come over here to the world that I actually live in, the family that is in my house, the job that I go to tomorrow, right, uh, uh, the, the strife and the circumstances of my life, that's over here. But if I can just get to Friday, I'll have peace. Or if I'm going through three months of this, you know, just crazy period at work, if I can just get to vacation, oh, I'll have peace. Peace is this place, this location, this, this uh, oasis that we long for, and and the world says, you know, uh, if you can just get here, you'll find peace. But here's the deal with peace, this kind of peace, this escape peace as it ends. Friday turns into Monday again. Anybody notice that? My my least favorite day of vacation is the day before it's over. I start getting mad because I've just gotten unwound. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I've just relaxed enough that this is going to actually, you know, be good for me, but now... I've got to start thinking, I mean, I, just, I love my job. I don't want anybody to think. I. <laughs> but I come back to the responsibilities that tend to rob us of peace. Are, are you with me? Some of you are like, Mark, that doesn't even work. Because I leave the strife of my job, and on Friday I end up back at my house. And guess who's there? Those who rob me of my peace. I make it through this whole cycle of of work, and I I get on vacation. And guess who I go on vacation with? Those who rob me of peace. There's nowhere to escape the circumstances of my life. It's just constant. Peace is elusive. So here's what those people do. They don't don't do escape. They do denial. And they say, you know what? If I can't escape it, I'll just fake like it's not there. I'll just go through life pretending that <laughs> everything's great. Luke, I am your father. We laugh, but it's true. It's true. We, we, we love to pretend that things aren't going crazy. We're like the duck. Everybody knows what a duck's really doing when it's moving. Right on the top, feathers are just unruffled. Head's hardly moving. But if it's uh, if it's going anywhere, it's going crazy beneath the water, right? And that's what a lot of us have just kind of decided life's going to be about. I'm going to look all serene, stable on the top. Everybody, no one's going to see through the veneer. But underneath, I'm just a churn. I'm angry. I'm bitter. I'm defeated. But I'll just like I'll pretend it's not there. Doesn't work. Long term, it just doesn't work. You're a boiling cauldron, a bomb whose fuse is lit. Eventually, the churn's going to come out. No matter how hard you try to avoid it, it's just how it works. I I sat at my father's funeral five years ago. And I don't mean to disparage my family, but everybody comes from a dysfunctional family. Can we all admit that? Um, I love my aunts and uncles and cousins, and I uh, love my dad, but they just had some mess. They had some stuff growing up. And you know what? We grew up, my parents, uh, my dad grew up in, in eastern Canada, It was very British, very buttoned up. No one talked about their stuff. And so my aunts and uncles and my father, they're, they're all starting to have their funerals, and we're coming to these things, and, and everybody, as, as happens at funerals, is talking about the glow, and there's so many great things to discuss. I'm not saying that there wasn't any any good things, but but it's so... For me, it was so jarring that we couldn't, still can't talk about the stuff that so desperately needs healing and so desperately needs to be talked about. Just everybody put on your suit. Let's go in there and pretend like we've always pretended. And people go to their graves, living this brand of world peace. Escape, deny, escape, deny, repeat. I'm grateful that the scriptures reveal a different kind of peace, a peace that Paul spoke about from prison. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul's writing his friends in Philippi, and he he tells them as a precursor to his discussion with them on peace, he says, listen, rejoice in the Lord, always. Again, I'm going to tell you, if you didn't pick that up in the first reading, Rejoice. Tied to peace, I don't have time to preach all this, is the fact that we rejoice regardless of our circumstances in the power and the presence of our king. He is our God. Paul from prison says, hey, man, I'm in prison. It's not great. But I'm turning to God every day, rejoicing in him. I, I recommend that for you, Philippi. He goes on and he says this. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Reasonableness is a, as a word there, it's like in the NIV, it's translated gentleness. It actually is this word that kind of means calmness. No shaking of the hand. Mine is actually shaking. I don't know why that is. Gotta go to the doctor. <laughs> but you're calm, and, and here's what he's saying. He's saying, as you rejoice in the Lord, let everybody see that regardless of what's going on in your world, you're good. It's not a fake calm. It's not a denial, uh, you know, peace. It's, it's legitimate. At peace, peace. He says, the reason you can do that is that the Lord is at hand. This infers to the the future coming of Jesus and the confidence that we have in his promises, but it also refers to his his, uh, present presence. He's here. And you're you're able to be calm because the Lord is here. He goes on and he says to them, verse 6 Don't be anxious about anything. Anxiety is the opposite of peace. Don't be anxious about stuff. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He says, listen, when you're feeling antsy and nervous and and stressed, your your escape is not vacation or the weekend. Your, your, Your remedy is not denial. It's leaning into and pressing into the relationship that you have with God. Pray to him. Be thankful to him. Can't tell you how many times I've been pulled out of my dumps when I remembered, hey, it's not so bad. I woke up this morning. There's families in London this morning who have lost people, right? I mean, you just gotta go online and you know there's all kinds of horrific stuff that could have rested on you. So be thankful and be prayerful. Instead of worrying about things, all anxiety is is holding to our stuff. Prayer says, hey, God, you take it. You take the things that I can't handle. I'm going to trust you to provide those things. And here's here's, here's the peace part. Here's what Paul says. If you can do these things, rejoice in the Lord. Stay calm because you're confident confident in his presence. Pray about stuff instead of worry about stuff. He says, if you can do that, then the peace of God, this peace that Jesus promised, it's not of the world. The way Paul describes it here is is that this peace that surpasses surpasses all understanding. He's like, I'm not even going to try to express this in words. There's not enough pencils. I couldn't begin to contain this. It's not natural. It's supernatural. This peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love that last part there. He's basically talking about how peace is a protector. Notice it doesn't say that he's going to guard your experiences. He doesn't talk about the material, the physical. He just says no matter what's going on out here, materially, physically, relationally, this peace that only God can give will protect what's going on up here and in here. It will create a barrier, not a denial barrier, but an actual insulation, a true peace a peace that doesn't pull you from your circumstances. It's a peace that's fully aware and fully engaged, but peaceful anyway. Yeah, this is what God desires for us. He desires this for our lives. He desires this for the lives of those around us. And that's why it says here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Jesus gave us peace so that we could make more. He gave us peace so that we could be a conduit of peace for other people, especially in our homes. So let's talk about that with the time that we have left. At any one time, you can be uh, one of three people in your relationships, whether they're at home or out, outside of your house. You can either be a, a, a peace taker, uh, that's someone who uh, basically loves to push buttons, you love to use this end of the broom. You get in a a conflict or a disagreement at home and instead of trying to peacefully solve it, instead of sacrificing on your side so that everybody can win, you're like, and you get what you want because you yell louder or argue better or you uh, uh, walk away and manipulate passive-aggressively. In those situations, whether it's uh, really demonstrative or, or just in being silent, just so you know, you're a peacetaker. Others of us, like we talked about with the world's land of peace, we're peace fakers. We're used to this end of the broom. We just want to kind of sweep everything away, pretend it's not here. Uh, we confuse peace with appease, uh, A-P-P-E-A-S-E, appease. Everybody knows what it is to appease somebody, right? We appease people all the time for the sake of tranquility. Uh, Not understanding that it's really that duck thing again. Everything looks okay on the top, but on the uh, inside or in the bottom of of our lives, everything's going crazy. Uh, Peacefakers are deniers. They're escapers. Uh, They don't understand uh, what the Bible says in the Old Testament about peace. Does anybody know what the number one word for peace translated in the Old Testament Hebrew is? Starts with S-H. Sounds like uh, valom. Say it again. Good. You got that one. Shalom. Uh, shalom is, is, uh, is a common greeting in Israel. When I was there a couple years ago, uh, especially on the, on the Sabbath, you would, you would, everyone you saw, you would say Shabbat Shalom, uh, peace on the Sabbath, and they'd say the same thing back to you. Shalom is the word most often translated peace in your Old Testament scriptures, but it, it's not a word that just means the absence of strife. That's what a lot of, a lot of think, people think peace is. It's just a, a place of tranquility, there's an absence of strife, but Shalom is, is a bigger word than that. Shalom basically means whole, it means complete, that you're well and that uh, you're full. Uh, This is the peace uh, that we seek in relationships. This is the peace as peacemakers that we seek to give other people. Peacemakers don't understand the whole, they just want there not to be strife and so if I have to fake it for that to happen, fine. But they don't, won't do the work to make things whole. They won't confront. They won't um, speak and, and communicate and deal with the things that could ultimately bring the kind of peace that God desires for us, this the shalom peace, this wholeness to our families and our marriages and any other relationship we have. That's what I hope for us. I hope when we say peace, peace out, we mean shalom, as flippantly as we might say it. But that, that's what I hope. I hope when we go to our homes, when we pray for peace in our marriages and pray for peace in our relationships there, that we we don't just seek the absence of strife. We seek a wholeness, a fullness, a wellness that only comes from truly working through our issues and securing forgiveness and pressing forward in life. How do we do that? How do do I live my life as a peacemaker, this kind of peacemaker who brings shalom? Well, there's, there's three things. First one is this, forget you. That's been used in lots of songs lately. I know it's uh, a euphemism for other things, but uh, uh, forgetting you is the key to finding peace in your relationships. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, uh, Paul, again from prison, is speaking to his friends, and he says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. He says... Verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. There has to be this, uh, this refusal of eating the me-lover's pizza. Uh, We've got to go from being obsessed with self and winning, which is the American way. I get it. Me first, number one. Take care of number one. It, it, it's all about uh, 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 striving and accomplishing and becoming and Winning. But in truly peaceful relationships there's this understanding like we read uh, in in the Beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit that that we don't have it all together. Uh, There's an understanding that blessed are those who mourn. I I, I should regret the sins that I bring to my relationships. I should go to war against those sins and push them down. There's this idea of of forgetting me that, that comes in the, in, the, in the beatitude that says, blessed are, the, are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I'm not gonna hunger and thirst for winning. I'm not gonna hunger and thirst for, for my own self-interest. I'm gonna hunger and thirst for God and his righteousness. Blessed are those who are pure in heart. I'm gonna make him first and let him satisfy me. It's when that happens, when we set self aside that we can actually uh, see other people. See their needs. Focus on what I can bring to the solution in these relationships. I become a broker of peace. If I had to set the priorities of our lives, I, I would say this, uh, like we talked about in meekness. Remember, blessed are those uh, who are meek. Uh, God's first. Uh, I would put individual second. And then if I can, I don't know the significance of this, but relationship, us. So God, you, us, me. The you and the us kind of go together, but but in that equation, I'm fourth. <laughs> and I'm setting myself aside. I need to forget myself if peace is going to reign in the lives and the, re- the relationships I have. Uh, I need to be honest, secondly. I need to be honest. Honesty is a huge part of peace. Because if you're just going to put... You know, the world's peace on your head and walk around in denial, uh, that's not honest and nothing's going to get sorted out. If you're just going to deal with stuff and escape every now and then, that's not honest. It's not how life works. I need to be uh, brutally honest with myself and with those that I lack peace with. First of all, I need to be honest uh, when I've been hurt. Look what it says in Matthew 18. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, and if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Now, if you've ever read these verses, this is kind of uh, how we deal with um, conflict in churches. It's actually uh, Jesus is saying, listen, uh, go and uh, yourself and talk to him. If, if he won't listen, bring someone else with you as a witness. If, if then he won't listen, get someone from the church involved and bring a leadership into the, the relationship. And if, if that doesn't work, then, then we go into more drastic measures and, and we start shunning and different things like that. But... It starts with, Matthew 18, verse 15, if, if someone has hurt you, did everybody see that? If someone sins against you, who's the infractor? Who's the poker? Is it you? No, it's them. You're the one getting... Jesus says, if someone's messed with you, you go talk to him. Well, wait a minute, that's not how we do it in America. If someone messes with me, I ignore him. I freeze him out. I refuse to tell him. In fact, the only way he's even going to know something's up is I start throwing some snag comments and little things that are going on around us in our normal day to day. And then maybe he'll start asking questions like husbands do or if you're a wife in this situation, wives do. What I do? Nothing. And we go on with the freeze job and we just, that's how we roll. We basically say this, there'll be peace as soon as you say sorry. There'll be peace as soon as you make a move. There'll be peace because you're the offender. There'll be peace once you realize that you've offended me. What does Jesus say? Hey, if someone ticked you off, go talk to him. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Let me me throw this in there. Don't go yell him his fault. Okay, truth and love, grace permeating the whole situation, but don't wait. In fact, I've told you this before. If you're waiting for him or her to figure out that they've done something wrong to you, it's going to be a long time most of the time. But if you're willing to identify and deal, to bring truth to the situation, to be honest, then the healing process can begin and peace can reign. Be honest when you've been hurt by someone else, but be honest when you've done the hurting. Look look what it says uh, here in Matthew chapter 5, the same chapter that we're studying the Beatitudes in. Just a little bit later, Jesus starts in the Sermon on the Mount preaching through some different ideas. He gets to this section he says, listen, if you call someone a fool. It's as if you've killed them. You've heard it said, you shall not kill. But I tell you, if you call someone raka, which was the Hebrew or Aramaic, I think, for fool, it's like you've, you've impugned their character. You've, you've killed them with words. He says, "Let's be." it's basically his point. It's let's be kind to each other. Let's not take for granted our relationships. If things are wrong in our relationships, let's deal with them. And he goes on and he says this. He says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar... Matthew 5, 23, and there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. This is confounding if you're a Jewish person 2,000 years ago. Because the holiest thing that you can do in your faith is go to the temple once a year and offer a sacrifice on behalf of you and your family, uh, it's close second to that is any interaction that you have at the altar, any temple offering. It's like it, it's like uh, Christmas and Easter all wrapped up in one for us. It's it's the biggie, and what Jesus says to these you know uh, God honoring Yahweh honoring Jews of the Old Testament, he says to them, "Hey, listen, just so you know." If you go to the temple and you make your offering and there's something between you and your spouse or there's something between you and your parents or there's something relationally askew, you should just get up and get out. Leave your offering there. Go and make things right. And then come back. You know what? God, Jesus says, you know what? God can wait. And so are like, oh, no, God's first. Mark just said, God first. Okay, but here's what, he, here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, if you're bringing a sacrifice to God and there's things wrong, like, like if you're trying to honor God this way and there's things wrong in your relationships this way, whatever you're bringing to him this way, it's kind of tainted already. Remember how the fuss that the Jews made about being ceremonially clean before they went in the temple? Read the Old Testament. You had to go through all these cleansing. I went to uh, outside the temple walls just a couple years ago, and they've excavated like 50 baptismal type things. They're, they're actually baths, and men uh, who would come to give sacrifices for their family on the Day of Atonement would have to go through these baths, and they would have to purify themselves, take off their own clothes, put on a temple robe. I mean, they were. I mean, you know, we're laid back here. They were meticulous in the cleanness or in the cleansing process so that they could be in the temple (laughs) and what Jesus is basically saying is like hey if your relationships are wrong you're impure deal with those things God will wait God will wait it's interesting here too to note uh, if you go back to the verse prior So if you are offering your gift at the altar and they remember that your brother, this is really important in the syntax, has something against you. Who does the poking in this story? Your brother has something. You've done something to your brother. Your brother has something against you. We need to be honest when someone else has done the hurting. We We need to be especially honest when we realize that we've done the hurting to the point that God says, hey, I'll wait. Bring your sacrifice later. Go make things right. I mean, I know all kinds of things stop us from coming to church, right? We go on vacations, we get sick, we get tired. It's online, how's it going? But Wouldn't it be interesting if every time I got up here to preach, I said, hey, before we sing, before you give the sacrifice of praise, If there's anything wrong between you and your wife, could you just go out in the foyer and fix it first so that you could actually sing in here with clean hearts? Hey, before I preach, if you yelled at your kids wrongly, I'm not saying that they're always wrong to be yelled at, but if you went over the top in how you dealt with your children this morning, would you get up and just go across to where they are over there in kids' ministry? Haul them out. Their teachers will understand. Would you confess that to them and apologize so that before I start preaching God's word, you're able to really hear this stuff? That'd be an interesting dynamic in church these days, wouldn't it? It's kind of what Jesus said, hey y'all, before you go to church, before you throw out the offerings there like you would in the Jewish faith, you realize that you've done something that's breaching the relationships in your life, go fix it, God'll wait. I'm not saying you gotta get up now, but maybe there needs to be some conversation in the car on the way home. Because peace requires honesty. you got to forget you, you got to be honest, and then finally, you got to fight for peace. That just sounds funny to me, that's why I wrote it. It's like an oxymoron, it's jum- jumbo shrimp right there. Fight for peace. Those two things don't relate. You don't fight if you want peace. Oh, absolutely you fight if you want peace. You know who you fight most of all? You fight you. You don't only, not only have to forget you, you have to fight you. Because you know what your inclination is? Anytime someone breaks the peace with you, you want the get back. You want revenge. You want them to hurt as much as you do or worse. And so you need to fight that natural urge and give in to the supernatural that is within you. Look what it says in Romans, it says in Romans 12, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. 18 says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live, say it with me, peaceably with all. And then 19 says this, it says, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. We need to forget ourselves if we're going to have peace. We need to be honest uh, with ourselves and with those who have hurt us. If we're going to have peace, we need to fight that natural urge within us to seek revenge and let God be our venger. I've been studying the Book of First Samuel with my life group. Uh, We got to Samuel, First Samuel twenty-five the other day. It's a story of this guy David. Heard of him? He's one of the kings of Israel, second, in fact. And uh, he's actually running from the first king of Israel, Saul, and uh, in his uh, running, he he runs into a guy named Nabal. Everybody say Nabal. Nabal is Hebrew for fool or idiot. That's what this guy's name was. How would you like your name to be fool or idiot? But that's how he'd become uh, known. He'd just become known as the dummy. And so Nabal and David struck up a deal to protect some sheep. It's a long story, but David came to Nabal after uh, uh, Nabal had uh, you know, taken care of some sheep uh, from, with David's protection and said, hey, can I have a few? I want to do some sacrifices uh, to God and I also want to feed my men. And Nabal just simply said no. And he called David a whole bunch of nasty names because David was running from King Saul and uh, he called him a, a, a coward and, a, and, a, and basically a, 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 a traitor. And, David, just so you know, you talk about these circumstances that you want to escape from. Can you picture, like, hiding in caves for your life every day? You think David's stress level was a little high? And he'd been honoring God left and right. Just a chapter or two before, he'd had a chance to kill his rival Saul, and God worked in his heart, and he just cut off a piece of his robe. And, I mean, it's, you know, it's just David's control is amazing in these circumstances. But this was it. Nabal wasn't going to give up the mutton, and David had had it. And so he tells all of his men, he's got 600, uh, you know, Navy SEAL types that are following him, and he says, fellas, strap up. He takes four of them, 400 down, to fight Nabal. There's one Nabal. There's 400 soldiers. This is going to be a bloodbath. He says, we're killing us some fools today. Nabal's wife's a girl named Abigail. If you've got an Abby in your world, she's named after her. And Abigail, uh, her name means beautiful and wise, and this beautiful, wise woman comes up to David, uh, realizes the error of her husband, and says, Hey, Dave, uh, uh, listen, sorry for my husband. I, I should have done something. That's how she starts. It's my fault. I should have done something to forego this. Uh, but my husband's name is fool. Can we all just, you know, stop there, right? Um, so sorry that he's done this. And then she does something really interesting. She says, You know what, Dave? <clears throat> I, I want you to not kill my husband, but not so much for my husband. I want you to do it for you because if you go down there in this rage that you're in and you kill my husband you'll offend God you'll go against the Torah and what it says in his law and and you may abdicate your kingship before you ever get there and she says so I know you're gonna You get this mom I know you're gonna do the right thing I know you'll do the right thing and sure enough that's what David does and he praises Abigail and he praises God for sending Abigail who was his ready for it Peacemaker, she got involved, she brokered peace, and she said, And he says, What we just learned here in Romans 12 I'm gonna let God take care of this. If I need to be avenged, God will cover it. You know what happens in the next verses? Uh, (laughs) Nabal has a party, gets really drunk, it's in your Bibles, so Abigail has to wait to talk to him because he's so wasted, but he wakes up in the morning. And he's nursing his hangover, and Abigail comes to him and says, you know what, you almost died yesterday. I stopped David and his men from coming and killing you. And this so shocked Nabal that he had a stroke. It's right there in your Bibles. And 10 days later, guess what? It says that God took Nabal. God took care of David and his vengeance. All David had to do was seek peace and thank God for this girl, Abigail, who later became David's wife. Because Abigail was a peacemaker why should we care if we are peacemakers why should we care if we do this we should care for peacemakers uh, because peacemaking looks us a lot like our father remember what it says in verse 9 blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God most people read that and they think oh that's our rights we're, we're gonna be heirs of God's just like Jesus is you know we're joint heirs with Jesus that's that whole inheritance thing it's that, but it's, it's what he's really talking about here. Jesus is saying, you know what? You're going to be a chip off the old block. You're going to look just like the God who is your Father. Because guess what? God's chief mission through Christ and in our world is reconciliation, bringing peace to a people who lack it. So be a peacemaker. You'll be like God. But be a peacemaker because peace, make things, peace makes things right. Isn't that true? I mean, if you heard all this stuff, you're like, oh, come on. Can we just agree on like three minutes of stuff? Just take God out of it. Isn't peace better than war? Isn't tranquility better than strife? That's why so many people are denying everything in their lives to find it. They'll, they'll lie to themselves and everybody else just so they, they can have peace. Because that's our, that's our default setting. That's what we want. It's only the crazy people who are sadists and masochists and want everything to be stupid. They're the villains in the Batman movies, right? The rest of us are like, just give me peace. Peace makes things right. You don't even have to be a Christian to believe that. But James talks about it in his letter. He writes this. He says, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. If I had time, I'd read that whole chapter to you, or at least that section, but, but James is basically saying, hey, you want the best life you can have? Live in wisdom. Here's all these things that basically uh, you know, amount to wisdom, gentleness, kind, a lot, it sounds a lot like the fruit of the Spirit, this long list that he says in verse 17, but then he says, listen, but the most important thing to understand about having things being right, that's what this righteousness, this wisdom brings to your life, it's e- equilibrium. It's everything being right. The most important things about, thing about you having the right in your life is to know that it's sown in peace by those who make peace. Peace is the cart that all the other good stuff rides in. If you don't have peace, hard to be gentle. If you don't have peace, it's certainly hard to love. Testify, anybody? So make peace in your heart today and extend peace. To those in your life today it'll make things right there's this prayer that was attributed to st. Francis of Assisi he probably didn't write it it didn't appear in any of the journals of the Catholic Church until 1912 and Frank had been dead for a long time but it's a famous prayer and as we close it'll be our prayer for this morning can I read it to you this is his prayer Uh, by the way before I read it it's an actual song it was sung at my wedding um, Eleanor chose this song over all the other songs that we could sing. It's, it's been one that I frequent when I think about us having peace in our marriage. And these are the words. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. That's that whole selflessness thing. He's gonna talk about it a bunch here. That I may not uh, seek to be understood, uh, but to understand. That I might not seek to be loved, but that I would love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. So may you and I live in peace and make it be peacemakers wherever we go.